0: It was a cloudless, blue sky day that I took off work early to go see my girlfriend Cassie for lunch. I really did enjoy the weather when it was nice, but rarely took time to enjoy it what with starting my own business. Working as a mechanic, I started my own shop last year. I did the work on top of running the place. It was a tough job, but I found enjoyment every day doing what I was meant to do. Managing a business suited me well. I guess I'd always been a follower my whole life, and now being responsible for employees and the general health of the business really interested me. It was a challenge I accepted gladly. Plus, being your own boss was a great feeling. Taking time away was not in my normal routine. It felt kind of weird to be out and about, but I knew the team back at the shop had everything covered I sat down at an outdoor table of a nice little cafe downtown. A cloth sunshade cut out the direct sunlight, but left a nice warm radiance to accompany the slight breeze. To say the weather was perfect today was an understatement. The cafe itself was located in an outdoor mall, where the little shops and eateries lined a small, quiet drive from the main street. People often came here just to walk the streets. And window shop the various businesses. I people watched the various couples walking to and from, hand in hand, and I thought about Cassie and I. We've been together for five years. She stuck with me during the rough days when I first opened the shop. I could definitely see a life with us together, and maybe we could start a new chapter very soon. At least, that's what I hoped. Checking my watch I glanced at the front door waiting for Cassie to arrive. It wasn't like her to be late, especially when I intentionally took time off today to have lunch. Shooing away the waiter for probably the fourth time, I finally saw her come through the front doors. I stood as she approached our table, pulling out her chair for her. We exchanged brief hellos, your typical catch-up of our days, and commenting on the weather. However. Something about this lunch wasn't going quite like I'd planned. She seemed quiet, reserved. At least more so than I was accustomed to her being. I wondered if something happened on the way here. The waiter broke up the small talk and awkward silence by delivering our food. Flipping out a jack stand and setting down his tray, he made space for our plates. As he was packing up his tools, a sound overhead made the three of us look up. It was faint at first almost dismissible like the sound of a passenger jet flying overhead. As the sound got closer, though, it made a noise unlike anything I had heard before. It was almost like a ripping sound, as if the sky itself was being peeled apart above us. The rest of the diners in the cafe also noticed the disruption, instinctively looking up, even though the cloth sunshade was blocking the view. Because of this, Several groups stepped over the small barrier, enclosing the outdoor seating area, moving into the open space of the street. Several onlookers out in the open began to point in the sky. Our waiter moved toward the barrier, leaning out to take a look. Something about the event made me uneasy, though. Like something was sincerely out of place. Cassie started to get up and move to the edge. I reached out and placed a hand gently on her shoulder. Hold on, something about this isn't right, I said. She scoffed and moved forward, leaning over the railing and looking up into the sky. I stood back a couple feet, taking a narrower view of the sky. Whatever was making the noise had come into view at this point, leaving a single contrail in the sky as it flew overhead. Then it suddenly exploded in the sky above us for a split second, We didn't hear anything then a shockwave hit us like a punch in the chest followed by a sound that was utterly deafening many of the people in the street were so caught off guard they had fallen over in shock of the sudden explosion cassie had been so startled she jumped back several feet to just behind me looking out from around my back to see what else was happening the sky that had once been a beautiful cloudless blue had suddenly taken a grey tinge to it. Clouds were moving in, but not in any way I had ever seen before. They were coming together from every direction, congregating to a center point where the explosion in the sky occurred. The area around us began to get dark, shady, as if we had come outside on a rainy or stormy day. Several more onlookers from the café went out into the open, enthralled by the mysterious weather patterns that suddenly appeared. I continued to watch, but stayed close to the cafe, not sure what else may transpire. Then, unbelievably, it began to snow. At least, that was the closest thing I could compare it to. It came down from the sky and instantly melted into the ground. Several people out in the open put their arms out, but began laughing at the sudden appearance of winter weather. One person even seemed to be trying to catch a snowflake on their tongue. Our waiter, who had been watching from the railing, reached out his hand to catch one of the snowflakes. He did, and then walked back toward me. This is so weird, he said. Holding out his hand, I saw the snowflake melt into his palm. What I wasn't expecting, though, was for that liquid to immediately absorb into his skin. He shook his hand like a reflex, as if to wick the water from his body, but it was completely dry now. He looked up at me, and his expression changed suddenly. Something was happening to him that I could not define. His eyes went blank, staring off into the distance. Then his body seized violently, arms and legs unable to control themselves. He fell to the ground. He shook violently, blood coming out of his nose and mouth. Cassie shrieked, jumping back to the wall of the cafe. I couldn't think of anything I could do to help. I looked up and out to the open area where I saw the people before. They were also on the ground, shaking, dying. Panic ensued then. People began piling into the café. I pulled Cassie with me and miraculously managed to get us inside just as the cloth sunshade began to leak the deadly liquid onto other frantic survivors. They instantly began to seize and shake as we closed the doors. Everyone inside looked out in horror as the chaos of the outside took hold. People all over the street and sidewalks were collapsing. Cars that had their windows open because of the nice, sunny day were crashing into the sides of buildings and electrical poles. The snow began to come down harder, thicker. There would be no way to avoid it if you were out in the open. Sadly, out in the open was where most people were in this part of town walking on the nice day, enjoying their lives, completely unaware of the tragedy that would befall them. Everyone inside the cafe was either silently taking in the scene, or were quietly sobbing and crying in shock of what had happened. I'll admit, I had no idea what to say to anyone, what had just happened. As the initial shock of the event wore off, the surviving group within the cafe began with individuals breaking off to their own corners. Cassie and I sat quietly at a table inside, while a couple of larger family groups huddled together in one corner. One person, a young man who stood alone, approached our table nervously, glancing at the larger group as he did so. Hey, can I sit with you guys? He asked. Sure thing, I said in reply. Thanks. I'm Andrew, by the way. I was in here on my lunch break at work don't really know anyone in here felt weird standing there by myself he said no worries I'm Owen this is Cassie I motioned toward Cassie and she raised a hand as if to quietly say hello nice to meet you Andrew said what do you think that was out there some kind of attack I thought for a moment unsure of how to answer that could be I said I don't think there's any way for us to know for sure. I didn't know technology existed to do whatever I saw. Andrew looked as if he was mulling over my skepticism. He thought at all about what to do in the situation? I don't really know what the best thing would be, he replied. That group over there has been trying to make calls to the police, but something about that bomb going off is blocking our phones. He reached into his pocket and pulled out his cell phone to show us. The device seemed to work just fine, but he wasn't receiving any signal at all. I nodded in agreement. Us too, I said. I tried to get a hold of some kind of emergency services, but there's no making a call out of here. Not like I can go outside to find a different phone either. As if on cue, someone from one of the larger groups started to speak. Uh, hi everyone. We're all trying to make a call to the police, but can't seem to do anything. Does anyone here have a working phone? Anyone, he said. Nobody replied. Looking defeated, but not finished speaking, he went on. Okay, thank you. We're all trapped here, it seems, so I think we should all meet. Could all the groups come to the middle here? We can push some tables together, he finished. The various groups of people rearrange the furniture to make one large table. In total, 14 people had managed to cram into the small cafe in time to survive the blast. Sadly, many of the other diners and staff had been lost on the outside. The main person speaking was named Robert, and he began by having everyone introduce themselves. Robert claimed to have experience in survival scenarios given his time overseas, though he didn't give much detail about what that experience was, specifically. He explained that the first thing that they needed to do was take inventory of everything they had available in the cafe. This included tools, food, clothing, anything that could be used by the collective for the purposes of survival. Mel got to work on this immediately. It was a reasonable plan, but I thought mostly people wanted something to do besides look outside. They wanted to be busy on some sort of solution. I tended to agree with the first things we did as a group. Collecting and organizing supply galvanized the group for at least the first day we found ourselves trapped in the café. The blizzard seemed to continue outside as we worked. The snow never piled up, though. It always melted and sunk into whatever object it came in contact with. Robert seemed to take a leadership role, whether anyone elected him or not. Seemed to want to oversee everything anyone did at all times, trying to push forward a community for survival's sake. It was on day two that people started to question whether or not the strategy of holding out at the cafe and waiting for help was the best plan of action. Andrew came to me first, quietly so Robert would not hear. Hey, Owen, you're a mechanic, right? He asked. Yeah, why do you ask? I replied. I'm starting to think that sticking it out in this cafe isn't the best idea. Nobody has come to help us out here, and I'm not sure if they would be able to," he went on. There's a garage underneath this place, wondering if we can hotwire a car, assuming you know how to do that. Hotwire? Wouldn't somebody in here have a car parked down there? An employee, maybe? I asked. I don't think so. I come here a lot, and only ever see that underground lot get filled up after the surface parking gets full. That's only on busy Friday nights. On a sunny weekend for lunch? If there's anything down there, it's probably a maintenance employee," he explained. I thought about it for a moment. Assuming we could find the right car, it was definitely possible to get it running. It would have to be something old, a model before 95. Otherwise, we'd start running into more sophisticated lockout mechanisms that are in cars made today. I wouldn't be able to defeat anything newer without doing some research. With no signal or internet. That's going to be tough. Some cars will lock out the starter if you get it wrong, I explained. Andrew nodded along as he took in this information. I think we should bring it up to the group. Not just Robert, he said, glancing over his shoulder as he did so. I know he has everyone hunkering down here, but I think our best option is to try to get out and find help, at least a part of the group going while the rest wait here. We waited until that evening to address the group. Andrew stood during dinner and brought it up. Everyone, I'd like to propose something, he began. While it's good we're figuring out how to survive here, we have no way of alerting anyone. We're actually trapped here and can be rescued. There's a garage located beneath this building, and I think we should try to figure out getting one of the cars running. This proposal was met with silence by the group. Only Robert responded when Andrew looked around for some kind of consensus. We're fine here. Plenty of food to last us a while, and this can't last forever. Robert motioned to the outside window, which still had a blizzard of lethal snow pouring down. Just add more risk to the people here by trying to move around more. I understand the added risk, Andrew said, but there's a huge reward possible if we can get word out there that we're trapped. Maybe the snow stops eventually. Maybe we can find people that can help us. Robert stood then, folding his arms and addressing Andrew directly. Even if you could get down to the garage safely, how would you get a car running? Are you sure there's even something we could use down there? He asked. No, I'm not. But if there is one, Owen here's a mechanic. He could get one running if it's the right year, Andrew explained. Robert scoffed, unfolding his arms and looking away, dismissing Andrew's idea with a gesture. I don't think this will work, but if you want to risk your own life going down there, I won't stop you. He said. The group continued to eat in silence, not wanting to acknowledge either Robert or Andrew. I wasn't sure what had overcome everyone, perhaps the shock of this whole thing, coupled with the desire to make sure everyone got along. Andrew approached me later that evening, asked if we could check out the garage in the morning, which I agreed. I turned to Cassie after he left, who was quietly reading a book she found in one of the manager offices. I can get one of these cars running. We should go with Andrew to find help. I don't know how comfortable I am with all these people, and I think Andrew's right. The snow can't go on forever, I said. She nodded, quietly turning the page of her book. I looked at her more directly then, wanting to find out what was wrong. What's up with you? I asked. She put her book down, looking at me quizzically. What do you mean? She said. You've been quiet this whole time. And not just since that thing exploded, you were super distant at lunch as well. What's up? I asked more directly. Nothing is up. I don't know what you're talking about, she replied. But she said it with slightly raised eyebrows and and with an air of sarcasm. I could tell that she was hiding something. That sense you get in a relationship that something is obviously wrong and you have to go figure out what it is. I continued to press her on the topic, but... The more I did, the more annoyed she seemed to get. Frustrated, I went to sleep, angry that we simply couldn't communicate, find a way to move past the problem, especially with what was going on. The next day, Andrew woke me quietly to head down to the garage. I don't want to make a big deal of us heading down there, if you get what I mean, he whispered quietly. I nodded ready to go and eager to be doing something after the frustrating exchange of the previous night. We found the entrance to the stairwell leading down to the garage through the employee lounge. We gently closed the heavy metal door behind us, but the cement staircase made a booming echo that seemed to reverberate off the walls as if announcing our entrance to everyone with an earshot. The stairway was otherwise eerily quiet, almost oppressively so, Every sound felt unnatural, disturbing the otherwise peaceful still and quiet that the mall had become after the event upstairs. We found the entrance to the garage, and opening the doors wide revealed a scene that we were not expecting. Apparently, people in a panicked state had tried to make it down the ramp to the garage floor. They hadn't made it, though. The snow had touched them as they made their way down the ramp. A scattering of bodies covered the ramp outside. Where the blizzard continued to rage on. They were not moving, and we could only assume they had fallen victim to the snow, which had proven to be 100% fatal. Should we do something about that? I asked. If we get a car running, I don't think I could bring myself to drive over them. Andrew looked for a moment at the victims of the snow, shaking his head. We can try, maybe the ones furthest away from the entrance. I don't know what we can do for them to pay proper respect, not in this place anyway. Let's worry about that later though. We don't even know if we'll find a car, he concluded. We did find a car though, an old 91 Toyota Camry. Assuming it had enough gas in the tank, it was a good candidate for us to hotwire. There was a basic toolbox in the manager's office of the cafe, so I told Andrew I would get started on it right away. Returning to the main floor, Only a few people had woken up, organizing their sleeping areas. Cassie was still asleep. Not wanting to wake her, I decided I would get started on the car now, let her sleep before we got ready to leave. You go ahead and get started without me. I'm going to speak with Robert first. Let him know what we found, Andrew said. I nodded, grabbing the toolbox and heading through the door that led to the staircase. I reached the car and looked through the windows. Apart from some trash on the floor, it was in relatively good condition for being such an old car. Breaking through the lock on the driver's side door, I got to work tearing out the steering column panel and working on the wiring. A noise behind me made me jump though, the garage being so eerily quiet other than from the work I was doing. It was Cassie. She had come down from the cafe to talk to me. Hey, um, Andrew said you'd be down here, she said. "'Yeah, I didn't want to wake you. "'Look, I'm sorry about last...,' I started to say, but she interrupted me. "'I'm not going with you,' she said abruptly. "'Didn't know how to tell you yesterday. "'I've been wanting space for a while.' She trailed off there for a moment, placing her hand to her mouth. She seemed like she was holding back tears. "'I was going to say we should spend some time apart yesterday,' she said." threw my tools down on the floor of the car, turning to Cassie, who stood there waiting for my reply. "'So this is why you've been giving me this silent treatment for the last three days, huh?' I asked. "'What happened? What was so bad that you felt we needed to break up?' "'You're never around, Owen,' she said. "'When do we see each other? You only think about yourself.' "'Only think about myself?' I raged back at her. "'I'm running a business.' trying to set up a successful life for us. You really think that, that you're doing that for us, Owen, she said. I'm not even on your priority list. It's all about you and your success. I'm just along for the ride, and I'm tired of being put last. You're wrong about that. Everything I do, I do for us, I said. When I said it, though, I may have been trying to convince myself. Keep telling yourself that, she said and she began to walk away toward the exit. As the door to the garage closed behind her, it felt like the end, a chapter in our lives coming to a close, and, sadly, on such a negative note, I felt an urge to go after her, but what she said stuck with me, that I only think about myself, that I only make time for myself what I want to do. My reflection on the breakup was suddenly crashed by the arrival of Andrew and Robert, They approached me, Andrew in the lead. Robert eyed me, and then Andrew as he approached the old Toyota. Robert's agreed to give us a portion of the supplies, if we can get the car running, Andrew said. How's it going here? Fine, I said shortly. Not really in the mood for a conversation. Great, he said, not really picking up on my tone. I'll start clearing the ramp. What's possible to clear anyway? He moved off toward the ramp, leaving Robert there with me. I resumed my work on the wiring under the steering column, identifying the wires that would be the battery, ignition, and starter. I looked back to the toolbox to grab some wire strippers, but Robert was already there, holding them out to me. Oh, thanks, I said awkwardly, not expecting him to know what I needed. Sure thing, he said, more monotone and quiet than I had heard him before didn't think you guys would actually find something down here. I continued to work while listening, stripping the insulation off the battery and ignition wires. Got lucky, I guess, I replied, focusing on my task. Guess so, Robert said as he watched me twist the wires together. Suppose you guys want food, water, all of these tools to take with you too, huh? I hadn't really thought about any of that yet, I said while locating the starter wire. This is something you talk to Andrew about, not me. Right, he said, elongating the word to force the sarcasm on me. I didn't respond, just continued with my job. Whatever beef this guy has with Andrew doesn't concern me. Thought we'd all agree on this plan already. I work with people of all backgrounds, skill sets, in a mechanics shop. This guy's attitude didn't really faze me. The radio in the car lit up as the wires came together. I turned on the sound, and static just came through. Turning the dial, there was no available station. Everything was just empty static or dead air. There, what was blocking all of our phones was also blocking radio frequencies, or there was nobody around to speak. Whatever the reason, I shut off the radio, satisfied that there was power running through the ignition. I stripped the insulation off of the starter wire, and I quickly struck it against the tied battery and ignition. The car roared into life. Wow, nice work, Robert said in the same monotone voice. I didn't respond, moving the starter wire away from the other critical components. I broke the steering lock by strong arming the wheel left and right while sitting in the seat. I turned to Robert. You know, I was really hoping this wasn't going to work, he said, so I wouldn't have to do this. From his belt, He pulled out a holstered pistol and pointed it right at me. Like a reflex, I put up my hands. Whoa, whoa, what? Why? I blurted out, brain struggling to come up with something more articulate. You're not taking our supplies. This is a stupid idea, he replied. His hand shook as he pointed the gun at me, finger on the trigger. He didn't seem like he was prepared to do this. Shoot to kill me in cold blood. Robert... I said, my hand still raised. Look, I can stop the car. We can come up with a different plan. There's no need to... Shut up, he said. I winced as he shouted at me, expecting the shot to come from the gun at any moment. Then he looked to his right, swinging the pistol in the direction he was looking. I also turned and saw Andrew charging at him. The gunshots rang out, echoing off the walls of the garage. I watched as Andrew jerked from the shots hitting him. Keeping his charge on Robert, he managed to tackle him to the ground. Go! He shouted to me from the ground. Two more shots rang out into the garage as I closed the door to the car. I threw the shifter into reverse, backing out of the parking spot and away from Robert. He was moving Andrew off of him, who was no longer moving, body limp. I moved the shifter to drive, looking for the ramp to exit the parking garage. Andrew had thankfully cleared enough of the bodies to get the car through. I hit the gas, looking left at Robert, his gun was raised, and I saw the muzzle flash as the bullets hit the rear passenger door of the car. Lead hitting the body of the car, I peeled out of the garage. Snow hitting the windshield, as I reached the street, I rounded the corner away from the garage entrance, more gunshots behind me, until I lost sight of the entrance. I came to a stop the street a couple of buildings away so that I was out of sight considering what to do. Believing that I could not go back, not without getting shot at again, I decided the best thing I could do was press on to find help for all of the people who survived. I could only hope that they could hold out until they could be rescued. I gently pressed the gas pedal, leaving my way through the crashed cars and unfortunate victims, praying that I could find a way out of this blizzard because there was no other way out of this for me.